Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to the Globetrotters Podcast, the show dedicated to bringing you fresh and diverse perspectives from traveling enthusiasts all over the world. I'm your co-host, John Otero. And I'm Maximil Gonzalez. In our last episode, we interviewed Nora Dunn, aka The Professional Hobo. Nora is considered to be one of the original digital nomads and lifestyle travel bloggers and has been living this lifestyle since 2006. If you're a digital nomad or a traveler who is interested in financially sustainable travel, that episode is definitely for you. She has a ton of experience and free resources to help digital nomads offset their learning curve. But on today's episode, we'll be speaking with Angela Santos, also known as the blonde around the world on Instagram. Angela is an urban planner and photographer addicted to exploring the world and getting connected with other cultures. She is Portuguese by birth, a world citizen by heart, and a photographer by soul. Like us, her focus is to break perceptions about less traveled destinations. As a woman, photographer, and traveling mostly solo, she has an extensive experience in planning her own trips and uses her platform as a means to demystify the stigmas and paradigms associated with them. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, she is a storyteller who has gone on some great adventures, and today we'll be speaking about her trip to Syria, which she visited back in March of 2023. Angela, it's nice to have you on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Of course. Uh, Angela, you and I actually have something in common. Um, we're both photographers, uh, and we both love to travel. And um, I'm just curious, how did you develop your passion for solo travel, travel in in particular and specifically travel photography? Well, I started to travel uh, by myself uh, when I was 18 mm -hmm. and my parents early. gave me, it was like the, the early 90s and my parents gave me uh, a camera, an old fashioned camera and they gave me like the, the rules for the, the film for the camera mm -hmm. with 24 photographs only. So I had to go to Italy for a month and only take 24 photographs. It was really, really <laughs> difficult because I had to choose which moments I, I would uh, yeah. photograph. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, it's not about just uh, shooting photos uh, because at this point we are used to just point and shoot and then we delete and edit. But I started to develop um, my sense of looking to the world with attention uh, by that time, I think yeah. it's, uh, it was by that time. Shooting like film is something I try to live by, even though I shoot um, almost entirely digital. Uh, it brings a whole new perspective. It really makes you consider your composition. And I think it's a really unique way to go about it. So the fact that you went to Italy with only 25 shots that you could take, I'm sure 24, the pressure is on. Actually. 24, 24. What did, what did I say? 
25. Oh, 24, excuse you me. You gave me one more. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure you pulled out your camera, looked at it, and you're like, mm, no, I pass. Yeah. Next one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've told us that you've done an extensive amount of traveling in the Middle East. Uh, so my question is, given your extensive experience in planning your own trips, what are some key aspects you consider when preparing for a new destination, um, especially one with unique challenges? Well, I like to, first, I like to educate myself about the destination because it's very, very important. Not only the, the history of the country, of course, because I'm going to visit some uh, historical places and places of heritage, but mostly about the culture, because I think it's very, very important to, to be aware of what you're going to find in the country, what you should and shouldn't do, what your behavior should be or not, so I usually I start to plan my trip, not not only the, the itinerary, but mainly um, the culture and security, yeah. of course. And what was that? It's insecurity too. Yeah. It's very important too. That's yeah. usually my number one. Uh, if, if after security, I'm like, yeah, I can, I can get by. Um, but Syria is a destination that many, many perceived as challenging or unsafe. What, what motivated you to visit Syria in 2023 earlier this year? And how did you navigate any concerns or stereotypes associated with the country? Because I'm sure when you told people that you're going here, they were looking at you like you're crazy, right? Yeah. Well, most people look at me like I'm crazy. No, no, because of the destinations I choose, not yeah. because of who I am, of course. <laughs> well, it's part of me too, but my choices are, are a part of me too. In 2021, I went to Lebanon and I'm very curious about all the countries of the Middle East because uh, in the Western world, we have a very peculiar perception of that yes. region of the world. Uh, mostly because of what media brings us uh, and we have some twisted perception of that area and um, I started to read about uh, the Middle East and the history and all the geopolitics and and the culture and about being the well the cradle of the modern uh, civilization because we 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 know that was born, the, the modern civilization was born in that region. Mm -hmm. So at some point in 2021, I went to Lebanon and I found myself um, in, well, in Baalbek, which is really near the border with Syria. And I thought, well, I'm so close, <laughs> I'm so close to Syria and I'm so close to Damascus. And I always wanted to go to that Me too. epic city. That city yeah, is me awesome. Too. But it wasn't very easy at that time to go to Syria because uh, it's not like now. Two years make a lot of difference. And uh, now it's much easier. And so when I had the chance, I had to do it. So that's what what drew me to, to, to go to Syria this year. I had the chance and I went for it. And, yeah. and I think I just want to really hone in on that point that you said there's a window because you said that earlier when you were in Lebanon, that at the time 
it just wasn't safe or possible to go. And in the span of two years, that window opened up. And I think that's really important because um, I'm a big believer in taking the opportunity when it presents itself because you're not sure if it's going to come back a second time. Yeah, right. you most most of the destinations uh, that are in a limbo per se um, between between <laughs> between things happening, you have to take the chance to go. I think something that you mentioned uh, that's really important is the the perception that people have on a certain place. I mean, there's obvious times where, you know, a certain location isn't the best time. It's not that window of travel. Um, but a lot of people just view these countries as permanently dangerous. And while there yeah. may hold some truth to that, that doesn't mean that it's not uh, the possibility of travel isn't actually there. Right. So I think it's important to do your research, like you mentioned, make sure that it's safe for you and then to, you know, maybe not listen to the naysayers and do what you want to do, which I think is important. Yeah, um, because because those some some places, it's not that the place is unsafe. Of course, if mm -hmm. there's a, a conflict, it's unsafe. Right. But if you go to to like the the government sites on the internet, the the foreign affairs government uh, sites, they always say it's dangerous because always. they don't want to spend money with you traveling to those countries <laughs> because you will cause an expense. And I think that um, you should be aware of what you see on the news and on the television and. You should know that some countries, the reality of some countries may change from one day to the other. Mm -hmm. And you have to be prepared and you you have to be an experienced traveler to travel to some places if you want to go solo. Mm -hmm. Or even if you, you want to go with a tour group, you have to keep in mind that things may change from one hour to the other or from one day to the other. And so you, you don't feel frustrated if something happens and you can't uh, achieve your plan or your goals exactly how you planned, uh, step by step, things may change. So well said, can you can you possibly share some memorable, memorable cultural experiences from your trip to Syria that maybe challenged your uh, preconceptions and left a lasting impact on you? Were there any in particular that you can recall? There were so many because Syria is a very diverse country and with mm -hmm. very different realities happening at the same time. Because in the north, it's not the same that in the south or in the center of the country, but a cultural experience. Well, um, I think everyone who travels to Syria wants to go to Palmyra because it's an heritage site. It's an, an, a, a mark to a landmark, a city, but it's a landmark for humanity. But um, to visit Palmyra, you have to have special permissions, you have to have military escort. Mm -hmm. And the the ancient city of Palmyra, it's uh, severely damaged by the, the conflicts and um, by the ISIS, they, they destroyed a lot of the, the ancient city. Well, next to the ancient city, you have the modern modern city of uh, Palmyra, which is also really, really destroyed. And at some point, we were at the ruins of the ancient city, and we were the, the only ones there. And a group of kids, like shepherd kids, they were with their um, 
their goats and their sheep. And they were just like with their herds, just like spending time with, <laughs> with the animals. And they were feeding the animals in the ruins, in the, the, the UNESCO heritage site. And they saw us and they were so freaking happy to see us. Mm. They were really, really happy that they came to us to try to to make friends, to interact with us without speaking the same language because, well, they don't speak English. So, but they were so happy. They they made us like play with their goats, like babysitting their goats, and they wanted to take pictures with us. And they they are so happy to see foreigners there and to show us. Uh, their legacies and their their history and their heritage and their animals their their, their daily life they just want to show us that they are exactly like us and that we are welcomed and they just want to make us feel at home basically That's and, beautiful. and to, to anyone listening palmyra p a l m y r a google it incredible I'm looking at pictures of it right now and it's just stunning. So if you're listening to this, make sure you do that. Yeah. Yeah. And That's... search also for Queen Zenobia because she defeated the Romans to build Palmyra. So Ooh. she was a, a badass queen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, that is awesome. I love that. I can just kind of envision you out there and having that full on experience. I mean, sounds sounds magical. Um, how do you approach uh, photography in an unfamiliar and potentially sensitive location? And how do you ensure that the work that you're doing respects local cultures and traditions? Do you ever have any um, fears or second thoughts on taking photos in certain places? Yeah, especially in Syria. I think it was the first time that I was. Oh, I, wow. I know it was the first time I was in a, a country in a post-conflict uh, situation. So um, the, the war in Syria ended just like uh, two or three years ago. And it's not easy to get to a place and to, um, to take pictures of the homes of someone. Like you get to a city and you see um, the debris, the, 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 the neighborhoods all destroyed. Mm -hmm. And at some point I thought that, well, I need to, to make something about this because to me it was like, it's not fair to, to take pictures of houses, destroyed houses, because this is a home of a family. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to like take selfies in the debris or in the, the the destruction, which was which once was the the home of someone, mm -hmm. a family lived there, um, like n normal people lived there. So it's not fair to go there and to take pictures like if you are uh, in Rome or in Paris or in in another normal place. So I had to be very, very careful uh, about what what I was shooting because it's um, it's a matter of respect. It's even difficult to me to explain what I felt there because it's it's like you wanna you wanna take pictures of everything because you wanna show the world their mm -hmm. reality because it's not yeah. it's not everything like 
I usually say that what you see on Instagram, most of the times it's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because people make uh, the scenes to girls wear very pretty dresses and they pose. I, I wasn't going to pose in the middle of the rubble of the house of someone. It's it's just right. ridiculous. You have to respect the moment and the reality. So I think it was a, a very big challenge as a photographer to, to try to tell the story without just being very dramatic because there are very good things happening in Syria right now. But I couldn't hide the reality. So it was like very, very strange yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hear what, you, what you're saying where there's this kind of fine line between mm-hmm. you don't want to distort the truth but you also don't want to exploit the truth. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to walk somewhere down the middle. And yeah, I mean, that that's hard. I think I think a key part to this too, a lot of people don't think about it. Um, you know, it, it like John said, it's a fine, it, you're kind of walking in that gray area where you don't know if you should or you shouldn't. I think a lot of people don't realize that when you're not just going up and taking photos, but there is a style in which you present yourself taking photos that makes a big difference. You know, there's a huge difference of like, you know, kind of like an influencer going out and being energetic and kind of like seeking that attention while capturing these moments. And there's a way to go about it kind of like in a more uh, like kind of like light footed, respectful way um, that I kind of try to do when I take especially street photography. I don't want attention. I want to kind of be pulled back. I want to be reserved and I want to be able to take these photos without being noticed as much. Um and so as long as it's, I feel like, done in a respectful way, as long as you're not verbally being told not to, it's okay as long as you do it in a respectful way. Yeah, I mostly I tried, I think I tried at some point, uh, I started to realize that it was very much important to focus my photography on people, mm-hmm. uh, on the local people. So like, uh, I, I started to, okay, there, there is, uh, like, imagine like a neighborhood that was totally destroyed, but there was a store and that person was still working and selling like his vegetables and fruit. And so let me focus on what that person is doing because the reality is still there. Uh, but I tried to focus on the, um, the, the courage of that people, the resilience, you know, yes. because it's so very yes. strong. They are trying to rebuild their, their cities and their lives. And the, they are trying to heal the scars of the past. So it's, it's another level of respect, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. just another level of respect. Yeah. Completely yeah. agree. And Angela, your platform, your social media platform and the, where you present your work aims to demystify stigmas and paradigms associated with travel. In what ways do you see travel and, you know, empowering women yourself? And what advice do you have for women who aspire to travel solo? Well, I think um, solo traveling, it's very um, open-minding for everyone, not just for women. Of course, we cannot be closing our eyes for our reality because women are still very um, stigmatized about traveling solo or doing things solo. Um, But I think that one thing 
I, I always do to, to, to people who call me and, and ask me for some advice. It's educate yourself about the destination you are trying to go. Mm -hmm. Whether it's like uh, near your home or on the other side of the world, it doesn't matter. And if you don't have the courage to go like to Japan by yourself, just go to the city close to you where you feel start close, where you feel uh, at home or more comfortable and um, to, to gain some experience and to, it's, it's very important to be aware of your surroundings when you're traveling solo. So you need to gain some experience because no one borns knowing how to travel solo. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's very important to, that's why I think it's very empowering because um, you gain a lot of self-confidence when you travel solo. Right. And it opens your eyes to, to the world and to other realities other than yours and to other cultures other than yours. And it allows you to interact with other people because when you travel with a group or with a friend or with someone else, you are more restricted to be with that person, to give attention to that person. When you are by yourself, you have to open yourself to the world. Whether if you want it or not, you have to do it. So it's like you, you gain a lot of uh, self-confidence, but you have to take small steps before you throw yourself to the world. Well, if you want to do it, you, you can do it. But if you have some questions and some doubts, first educate yourself about the place you want to go and then just listen to the people that have already been at the places. Don't listen to the, the cousin of the grandmother or something mm -hmm. like that. Because they are going to every every place in the world except your house, it's usually seen as dangerous to people. So mm -hmm. everybody's going to tell, You're crazy. Why are you going to, to some place by yourself? Don't do it. Wait for some friend or wait for something. But if you wait, you don't go. <laughs> Most of yeah. the times. Because it's not the perfect time, it because it's not the the, the dream destination of other people. So it's just let yourself go and go for it. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, I feel like you keep touching back on that one person's aunt, and I feel like there's a subtle story back there. That... <laughs> my aunts don't, don't tell me anything. It's for my mom. My mom tells me, you're crazy. Why are you doing this to our, yourself? Yeah, my mom gave up on trying to talk me out of it. Now she's just like, okay, you're going. Okay, text me when you get there. Text me every other day. No, yeah. no in my yeah. last trip, my mom was really scared because I went now to, to Iraq and the situation mm. in the Middle East, it's like nobody knows what's going to happen. And she was like, why are you going there now? Just wait. Don't go there now. And I had to tell yeah. her, mom, we are not going to have this conversation again. If yeah. you want it or not, I'm going anyway. So mm -hmm. you, you just have two choices. You don't bother me anymore about this and I will share the trip with you. You keep bothering me, bothering me and I won't share anything with you. Yeah, right, right. You did the right choice. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, all right, before I ask this question, I do want to clarify something. Um, when we mentioned solo travel, uh, there are a couple terms, or sorry, a couple definitions that come along with it. There is, um, you know, I feel like the, the definite term or definition for solo travel where you go travel new places by yourself and you're by yourself the whole time taking it as it goes or working remotely or whatever it is but you're you're solo truly and there's another type of solo travel where you could be traveling solo and then you either meet people whether it's organized or you know on a whim you meet people and you end up traveling with others uh both to us we would consider solo travel and so when i ask this question um it's it's the latter definition which is um uh, I wanted to know what were like the most significant challenges that you faced during your uh, solo journey to Syria and what were the most rewarding aspects of that experience? Well, when I went to Syria, I, I for you, let's just clarify one thing first. Um, for you to travel to Syria, you have to have two things, one visa and one clearance security. And to get the visa, you have to have the clearance security first, and you can only have the clearance security if you travel with a tour, local tour company. So I had to go with a local tour company. And I also went to, because the thing was, uh, I went with a Portuguese tour company, uh, which is San Rota. And then there we met the, the, um, the Syrian golden team which is the, the local tour company. So otherwise we couldn't do a proper tour in the country. Well, hmm. we couldn't even enter in the country actually. So it's like, um, it's like uh, an obligation. It's like North Korea where you have to go on like a guided tour it's not in order to... as strict as North Korea, because in North Korea, you cannot speak with the locals and in Syria, you can interact okay. with fair. everyone. Fair, fair, <laughs> fair. Yeah, it's not, it's not that strict, uh, but yeah, the government, because there are some regions in the country that are still uh, going through some situations, let's say like this, and are not exactly totally safe. And they want to guarantee that tourists are safe and that we we travel in the country in the safest way possible. So uh, we have to have a, a tour company to ensure that everything goes, goes smooth. And you have thousands of checkpoints, thousands of checkpoints. So. If you don't have someone who knows exactly what to do, like uh, with the, the passports and showing your documents and uh, speaking the language, even speaking the language, it's very, very difficult um, to show that you are just a tourist and you are there and you are not going to do anything wrong or you're not like spying the country or something <laughs> because uh, they still have some issues uh, going on. But for us tourists, it's fine because we go to the places that are already stabilized and there's no, no problem at all. There's no issue at all. In any place mm -hmm. that we went to, it's, it's totally okay. I, I never felt myself in any kind of uh, situation that I could say, I don't feel safe here. You know, that sixth sense that, that tells you, I don't, I, I think something's going on. I never, I never felt 
at any point like that in any situation. No, and that and and that's great. Um, you know, you kind of already talked a little bit about Palmira, but what were some of the other places that you visited that you just took a lot from that experience where it was rewarding, where you were like, it, it stands out for you when you were in Syria? Well, in, in terms of uh, cities that we visited, I, of course, Aleppo is one of the places that we all heard about during the, the conflicts and it was very marked in my mind still Aleppo because I, I remember to see on the news and everywhere uh, the destruction and the suffering of the people and it was very very hard but being there it's totally different and because you see with your eyes and it's very very different and you feel the energy and you talk to the people because when you when you humanize an inhumane scenario things get uh, uh, get um, a different perspective you know because you are talking to the people who lived that situation and they have faces they have families they have hopes and dreams like all of us and so it's like it's not that you can put yourself on their shoes because you can't never ever just just the ones who lived that situation can can uh, talk about it but mm -hmm. you can at least um be empathic about it and try to understand them try to hear them try to to share their story and try to to make the world see that they they are exactly like us. Everybody wants to be happy and have dreams and everybody wants to be safe and has a job. So we, we, we all have the same expectations. And just a quick follow up to that question, because yeah. we've talked, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, outside of the shop, the, the individual who was selling vegetables and when you were in Aleppo trying to, you know, interact with locals, is there a encounter with a local one specific person that you know stands out in your mind that you can share with us well i i had many conversations um with with people about the situation but i i have um about what what they what they um lived during the period of war uh and the stories are all of survival, actually, of trying to survive. And I, I even wrote at some point about it because it's like when you see uh, the cities destroyed, it's easy to rebuild buildings. It's not that easy to rebuild lives, you know, and it's not that easy to, to heal the scars of years and years and years of, of uh, war. And it's not... It's, it's very difficult on the, the human level. But I had one situation at home, uh, at Homs. Homs, it's a, Homs, it's a city in, in Syria, which was severely damaged uh, by the conflicts. And we went to have dinner at the house of Fadi, of his parents. And Fadi is the owner of the tour company, of the Syrian tour company. And we went to have dinner with his family, with his mom, sisters, father, nephews, everybody was there. And his mama, his mother cooked for us for hours. 
And I was trying to explain her that the food was really delicious, but she didn't speak English. <laughs> so I was trying by gestures to explain the food was amazing. And she have the most, uh, she had the most um, gentile um, action that I, I was not expect, uh, expecting because she just hugged me and she kissed me in the forehead. And it was like, I'm at home, you know, it's, it was so generous for them to, to, to give us a meal. And she was like hugging me and well, we're not used to this in the Western world because we are not like that. You don't open the door of your house and take strangers to your house to feed them. And then you hug them and kiss them and just make them feel like family. So it's like they have uh, went through such difficult times and they still keep uh, their generosity and their humanity. And they're really, really generous. And, and that's one of the things I appreciate very much in the, the Middle East. That's one of the things. And in Syria, I was, I felt at that home, I felt like I was with my family, with my Syrian family. <laughs> I even joked, I, 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 I was, when I was leaving uh, the house, I just told, well, I just got a Syrian mama. <laughs> you know, you can't tell the stories for someone else. You really have to do your best to just um, listen to them and also try to understand and understand that that's probably the best that you can do because you realistically won't ever understand unless you walk in their shoes. But um, I love how you had those positive experiences and uh, you were able to, you know, feel like you're a part of their family. And I think that's just a really unique way to ex truly experience a country that um, doesn't get the best rap most of the time. How do you believe travel, particularly solo travel, um, has the power to influence and change perceptions, both for the traveler and for those who follow your journey journey through your platform. Well, in in what concerns to to me specifically, I like to believe that it makes me a better person uh, because I have the chance to to interact with the the people from from the 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 places that I'm visiting and I have the chance to talk to them and, and to sit myself with them, listening to their stories and listening to, as I told before, their dreams, their, their expectations, their experiences. Right. So it opens my mind and it, it I think it, it turns me more human um, and with more awareness of, other cultures and other people and people who struggle daily with, with things that we are, we, we live in a, a bubble of privilege. Mm -hmm. So I like to sit myself with people that don't live at the same bubble and try to imagine how my life would be if I was there. Yeah. So, and, and to try to at least try to understand them. I'm never going to feel what they feel because I live in a very different reality. And to me, it's like I go there, I spend there like a month and then I come home, but they mm -hmm. keep their lives in that reality. And so it's, it opens your mind when you travel, especially when you travel solo. 
and I like to think to that to the ones who follow my my content and who read my stories that at least it makes them think about what is it to be uh, in another places in another cultures um, to think well she went there she's telling this so maybe i should listen another and other versions of the same story, you know, because it's very important because what I feel when I visit a place, it's not the same that you're going to feel when you visit the place because mm -hmm. my background is different than yours. But at least if you, if you have already the light at the end of the tunnel about the, the experience of someone that has been there, maybe that's a call to action for you to go there too. So I like to think that my stories will open the minds of the ones who read the stories and, well, at least encourage them. It doesn't have to be necessarily to travel there, but at least to know a little bit more about other cultures and to educate themselves about, about other cultures. Well said. Yeah, I... I love that um, that perception on it. That angle is just yeah, agree hundred percent. Likewise, and Angela, before we run out of time, we do to keep it a little bit more lighthearted at the very end. We do have a fun segment we like to play with all of our guests. We're going to ask you five travel related questions in quick succession. Answer as quickly as you can. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> As I usually say, I was born ready, so bring there it go. on. <laughs> Let's go. Which country has been your favorite to visit? You don't ask a mother which kid she loves the most, don't you? <laughs> but they all have a favorite. No, I'm not going to ask They all have a favorite. No, I don't. I have a, a favorite region of the globe so far. Okay. I haven't traveled everywhere, so it's, it would be very arrogant of myself to tell that. Um, no, I love the Middle East. It's like, mm -hmm. to me, uh, it's like my favorite region in the world so far. Let's put the so far in the end, okay? There we go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. um, this is a different iteration <laughs> of that question. Which country has the best cuisine? Syria. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> I love Syrian food. <laughs> what has been your favorite beverage abroad, alcoholic or otherwise? Mangolasi in India. Mm. I've tried to do it at home and I can't do it. I can't replicate that. <laughs> but I, I, I don't... I'm addicted to Mangolasi. That's a first. Max, I don't think we know what that is. No. Yeah. Do you know? I don't know what that you is. Can you tell us now? You need to go search for it. I, I, I'm pretty sure you have some Indian restaurant there, which make. But you have to search for a very traditional, uh, traditional note, a real, real Indian restaurant, not the the franchising ones, and search for mango lassi. You know what? I have had this before. Yeah, and I just had it recently, actually, while I was in London. Yeah, but it's not the same it. because I. No, but I it went was an Indian restaurant. Yeah, but I went to search for the the recipe on the internet to to try to do it at home, and it's not the same thing. Don't ask me why. <laughs> it tastes no, 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 different. Fair, 
Fair, fair, fair enough. Sometimes fruit is different in different countries because yeah, I think exactly. cherry tomatoes in Italy are way better than the U.S. So I hear you to some extent. Um, which country are you most looking forward to visiting for the first time? Hopefully Afghanistan. I mm. have the, the trip planned for the, the next year, for the beginning of the next year. So hopefully, hopefully Afghanistan. I'm I'm really curious about the the country and to I know it's going to be a very big uh, cultural shock and it's going to be very challenging but if it's not challenging I, I'm not going I'm not signing for it. <laughs> Snaps. No. No. Okay, last question outside of Syria, which country has opened your mind the most? Maybe India. Uh, that because that mango lassi. Oh, uh, no, it is not because <laughs> of the mango lassi. Because uh, I, I went to India in a very specific time because it was the beginning mm. of the pandemic. N not many tourists there. So I had the chance to, to be with the people uh, without many, many tourists. And it was the beginning of the pandemic. The world was crazy. So it was a very strange situa situation. And it's the... Um, the most challenging country uh, until now, so far, uh, in what concerns to cultural shock to me. Okay. Yeah, it's Love it. totally different, before. totally different. Yeah. Um, awesome. Angela, thank you so much for being on our show. It's been great to have you and just so insightful and uh, a truly a breath of fresh air. So um, before we leave, where can I guess find you if they want to learn a bit more about you? around the world like the name says <laughs> around the world <laughs> no i'm on all platforms i have a blog it's blonde around the world travel and on instagram it's blonde dot around the world uh on x twitter or whatever they call it <laughs> i'm the the around the world so just I have everything on Instagram, like on the tree. So find me. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there. Yeah, perfect. And if you want to find out a little bit more about us, you can visit our website at www.gtspodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Globetrotters Podcast, Twitter or X at Globetrot Pod. Make sure you drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you enjoyed listening to this conversation. Editing was done by our very own Jonathan Otero. And Angela, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. And to all of our guests, thanks for listening. Until next time.